good to uh, it's good to be here. It's good to have the opportunity of sharing the word of God. And uh, one thing we should be glad about this morning is that we've got some good news. We've got some good news. We've all got some good news. Um, do you get a little bit fed up of listening to the uh, the misdemeanors of the politicians that we've been hearing about this week? But we've got some good news. And, you know, the word gospel, it actually means good news. And we as a church have got some good news for all the people out there. Good news. I can remember during my time, uh, my pastoral ministry time, uh, I was involved with the schools and I used to do primary school um, assemblies mainly. And... Uh, and I always used to take, the, the Bible I used to take into the school was the Good News Bible. Not particularly that I'm, you know, that I'm partial to the Good News Bible. I, I, I don't read it for my own personal devotions. But the reason I used to take it to school, because on the front of the Bible, in big letters, was Good News Bible. And, uh, and of course, you know, I used to say to the children, why do we call it the Good News Bible? And of course, eventually they got the message that it was because it contained good news. And I hope that maybe uh, some of the, uh, you know, some of the teaching and the seeds that were sown in the schools over those years will bear some fruit. But praise God, it's good to uh, it's good to share the word of God. I'm I'm just going to read a few verses to you from the um, the Gospel of John and the third chapter. And these are well-known verses. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. And he was, uh, he, he was talking about, um, um, you know, the good that Jesus, you know, no, no one can do these things if God is with him. And, God, and, and, and then Jesus cuts across the conversation. He said, you must be born again. And uh, he, he makes it very clear that that is the, the only way into the kingdom. The only way into the kingdom is to be born again of God's spirit. I'm reading from verse 12. It says, I have, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if we can just stop there for a minute... What does that verse say to us? He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. 
What Jesus is saying there is this is the only way. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to have eternal life. Verse 19 says, and this is the commandment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. I have entitled my message to you this morning, The Finished Work of the Cross. The Finished Work of the Cross. The reason why it was necessary for Jesus to come to this earth was because of our sin. The sin problem that we're all affected by. And God sent his only son on a rescue mission just over 2,000 years ago. On a rescue mission so that we might have eternal life. So that we might be able to deal with the sin problem in our lives. The finished work of the cross. First of all, it was a cross of revelation. Now, God revealed himself in various other ways before Jesus. He revealed himself in creation. So when you look at the creation, when you see the handiwork of God, it speaks of a creator. And how evolutionists can say, well, this just happened. It, there was a big explosion and everything went into place. And when you look at the, you know, the beautiful hills and the valleys and the, and, and, and when you look at the stars and, and when you look at this, the sun and the moon and everything that has been created, it speaks of God. God revealed himself in creation. He revealed himself in nature. And then he also revealed himself through his prophets who were chosen to bear his word. Israel looked for the promised Messiah. They looked for a deliverer. Yet when he came, they were so blinded by sin that they were unable to see. And there's a verse still in the, in the Gospel of John in, in chapter 8 and verse 28. And this is what it says there. John 8 verse 28. It says, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. In other words, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the Saviour of the world. And you can read the I am's of Jesus when he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the water of life. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And what Jesus was saying here is when I die on the cross, the Father will be fully revealed. The revelation of God in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It seems contrary to reason that those who failed to recognize God in the beautiful Jesus of Galilee should see him in the blood in, in, in the blood drenched cross of Calvary. Yet it was so. At the scene of the crucifixion, the Roman centurion, as he looked and as he as as he gazed upon Jesus hanging on that cross, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And as we observe the life of Christ that we read about in the Gospels, he was moved with compassion upon the people because it, the Bible tells us that they were like sheep having no shepherd. He mixed with the outcasts of society. He preached to multitudes. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. And we see something of God, as did the people of his day. But the greatest revelation of God was Christ on the cross, suffering for your sin, suffering for my sin. Because the cross reveals the very heart of God. The cross reveals the love that he has for every human being. And Calvary was the fullest revelation of the almighty God in his only begotten son dying on the cross. So we have the cross of revelation. We also have the cross of redemption. In designing the universe, God made sure that the possibility of sin was met by the possibility of redemption. Now the word redemption comes from the word redeem. And the word redeem, it means buy back. Buy back. Going back to those verses in John's Gospel, chapter 3. And verse 14 and verse 15, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now when you first look at these verses, it seems the imagery that Jesus uses is strange, maybe almost inappropriate. How can a snake be the symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ? In what way can a reptile represent the sinless Son of God? It almost seems irrelevant. So what is Jesus referring to when he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up? Well, to get the origin of the statement, we need to go back to the, um, to the Old Testament. And in, in the book of Numbers, 
uh, and chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. And this will give us an insight into what Jesus was actually talking about as he spoke with Nicodemus. Chapter 21 and verses 4 to 9. When they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, when you, when you read that account of the, the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness at the time, and they began to complain against God, and they began to complain against Moses, and for some of them, it meant instant judgment. The scripture says some of them died. And so they, but, but of course they realized what they'd done. They realized that they'd done wrong. And so they, they you know, they said to Moses, they says, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord. We've spoken against you. And it says, so Moses prayed for the people. And then God gave Moses some instructions. He says, make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And those who will look at the serpent, they will live. And so what we need to understand is the fact that the serpent, when they looked to the serpent, it represented life. Because it says that they lived when they looked to the serpent. If we go into uh, the book of Corinthians and have a look at the uh, fifth chapter and the 21st verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. So, when we talk about the serpent, the serpent is a type of sin. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, when, um, when God had told Adam and Eve that they could eat of every tree that was in the garden because it was good for food, but of the, of the tree in the midst of the garden, he says, you, you can't eat that. Don't, don't eat that. And, of course, we know that they did. And if, if you remember, it was, um, it was the serpent who, um, who spoke to Eve and... and and, uh, and represented, uh, represented Satan when he said, uh, when he said, you can, why don't you just eat? You, you won't surely die. 
Just eat them because God knows your eyes will be opened if you, if you eat of this and you will become as gods. And so the serpent is a type of sin. And Jesus, in becoming sin, he had to take the form of a cursed serpent. To redeem us from sin, it was necessary for our Lord to become sin. It's, the scripture says he was made sin for you and for me. The wrath of God was upon him and he took the sins of the world on his shoulders as he hung upon the cross of Calvary. And so it's personal, it's not just the sin of the world, it's your sin and it's my sin. Jesus died for you. You see, for, because Jesus was made sin, when he cried on the cross, when he shouted out to the Lord, to, to his Father, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the sins of the world was upon his shoulders. The sins of the world were upon him. And God looks away. But going back to the serpent. What happened to the serpent? What happened to the serpent? Well, if we read on several hundred years later in the book of Kings. And in fact, it's the second book of Kings. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4. And this was when, uh, when Hezekiah uh, came to the throne. Now, Hezekiah was, was a good king. And uh, if you read, I don't know whether you know much about the kings, but if you've read the, if you've read the book of Kings, you'll see that some of them, they weren't, they weren't particularly good. You'll see that some of them, they started off well, but, you know, they, you know, they seem to fall away and they, they seem to turn away from God as, they, as their lives went on. And uh, Hezekiah was a good king. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So what had happened, this serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness, it was still around. It had been preserved. And it had almost become an object of worship. The serpent for hundreds of years. And then Hezekiah came to the throne and he could see. And he, he probably knew the commandments of God. You know, that you, sh you know that you shouldn't worship any graven image. And so he did the right thing and he smashed the bronze serpent. It says that, it says that he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. And so we find that the 
what Jesus was saying about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. When the people looked to the serpent that Moses had placed on a pole, they lived. They didn't die. It was a source of life to them. And that's a graphic illustration of Calvary. In infinite love and mercy, the Lord absorbed into himself sin's awful consequences. In other words, he took the punishment for your sin and he took the punishment for my sin. He took the punishment for every single person who would be born on the face of the earth. And he allowed sin to do its awful work within him. The work of redemption to buy back what was rightly his. The, Israelite, the Israelites were bitten by a snake. They looked at the bronze serpent and they lived. We haven't been bitten by a snake, but we've been bitten by the serpent of sin because all of us are affected. But God has made a way, hallelujah. God has made a way for us to be forgiven. And that is through the, the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the only one who is able to save. Just another couple of verses from the New Testament. The first is in Romans 3 and verse 24. <clears throat> says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and then Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 it says in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The finished work of the cross, the cross of revelation, the cross of redemption. And then thirdly and finally, the cross of reconciliation. There was another one, the cross of restoration. But I thought, well, that would be too long a sermon if I include that. So I, st I stopped at three. The cross of reconciliation. The teaching of Scripture is, and in Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. So Isaiah 53 also tells us, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And that was what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And God did not love us because Christ died, but Christ died because God loved us. And he showed his love. He showed his love towards us 
when he sent his son. And when Jesus died on the cross, that was a not just a declaration of love. He didn't just say, I want to show you how much I love you. But what he said was, I'm going to demonstrate my love because my son is going to die for you. He's going to suffer a horrible death for you so that you can be saved, so that you can know me. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Going back to those verse, that verse in Corinthians, in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So that means that God has reconciled us through the work of Calvary, through what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But for those who know him as Lord and Savior, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we have a responsibility to do what we can to reconcile others to God so that those who don't know him and those, who, and those who've got no time for him, that we should do what we can to bring them to a knowledge of the Lord. And it says in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors, as though uh, ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then back into the Gospel of John, and John 12 and verse 32. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus here was talking to his disciples, predicting his death, and he says this. He says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. If I am lifted up from the earth. So it was necessary for Jesus to die. It tells of it tells of men and women being attracted to Christ through his cross. Someone said that the cross is God's magnet to draw men and women to himself. And this reconciliation that we're talking about, the reconciliation takes place when we acknowledge our sin and when we repent of our sin and recognize that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. The Saviour took the hand of mankind and he placed it in the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. And the reconciliation was made. Making our salvation possible. And as he hung upon the cross. 
and he cried, it is finished. It is finished. And the Greek word is tetelestai. And that means it is paid in full. God had been fully revealed. The work of redemption had been accomplished. And reconciliation between God and man had been achieved. Paid in full. Not a cry of defeat, but a shout of victory. It is finished. The work is done. Because he knew that on the third day he would rise again from the dead in resurrection power and he would live in the power of an endless life. But for the finished work of the cross to become effective in the life of an individual, what we need to do is kneel before the cross. Ask God for mercy. We cannot defend ourselves because there's no defence. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to gain eternal life apart from believing in the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did on Calvary. We receive God's forgiveness on that basis. The only way of salvation. But you know, when we look at God's revelation, of the cross when we look at the redemption and the reconciliation that has been brought about by the work of the cross then that demands a response it demands a response if you've never come to the cross then you need to come you need to realize your own personal sin and ask Jesus to be your own personal saviour. And for us who are Christians, as we look again at the, the work of the cross, as we look again at what Jesus has done, then we should respond by giving ourselves afresh to the Lord. Saying, Lord, I want to serve you. Nothing that I can do for you is too much. And in the words of a hymn that we're going to finish with at, at the close of this service, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And that last verse, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning for your great love toward us. We want to thank you that you made it possible for us who were sinners and without any hope, you made it possible for us to be forgiven of every sin that we have ever committed. Past, present and future. And you made it possible for us to believe and to know your power and your love and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we just pray that each one of us will come 
with our hearts that are full of thanksgiving for what you did on Calvary's cross. Because we realise that there was no one else who was good enough. Because you were pure. Because you were spotless. Because you were the perfect son of God. And you laid down your life for us. So that we might live. And help us Lord this morning to look to the cross. That we might live. That we might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might receive his salvation. Amen.